Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second episode of the Heartland After Dark podcast, part of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. My name is Joe Tillery. I'm joined by my co-host, Derek Duke. And I got to say, Derek, it is a great day having football back. We had the week one of college football games in the books, and we've got some things to talk about on that schedule today. But I do want to say before we get into the actual games, let me start off by telling you what I'm drinking before I bounce it off to you. Today, I went a little outside of the box. I went more down the seltzer route here. And I'm not sure if they have them where you're at. They might. I don't know how big the brand is, I would say. Boulevard Brewing Company, big out of Kansas City here, making quirk seltzers. This one is a blueberry, lemon, and lavender-flavored seltzer. It's not my favorite in the pack, but I tell you what, it is pretty solid for tonight either way. How about you? What are you drinking, my friend? Well, man, it sounds like you got, like, the whole garden in your drink there. Uh, there's all those flavors. Well. <laughs> no, man, Boulevard, uh, I actually had the opportunity to check out Boulevard Brewery when I was up there uh, in Kansas City back in the spring. Uh, definitely a great place to check out. Uh, for me tonight, I'm staying local. I am uh, – this weekend, I decided to make the trip back home to my hometown for a church picnic. So I had plenty of great food um, and, and great local beer, of course, so – Got to go with the Shiner Light Blonde. I'm probably capping my night off with this. Uh, if, <laughs> to be honest with you, if I would have, if I would have kept going strong as like I was this afternoon, I might not have made it to the podcast. But <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a man of the people, so I made sure to, to be here and be on time tonight. Well, that's great. The people's champion, Derek Duke, on this fine Sunday afternoon. Excuse me, Sunday night, my bad. Uh, I do want to start off by talking about some college football. We had some awesome games last week, and I think a couple that even surprised just the, the most of college football fans – Starting off with everybody's, basically everybody's game of the week, we had Deion Sanders, the Colorado Buffaloes, taking on TCU and upsetting TCU 45-42. to Derek, you want to talk about some quick reactions to the game and some things you saw there? Just what a game. Uh, what, a thrill, uh, what a thriller of a game, too. I mean, just from start to finish, that game was about as exciting as could be, and it kind of really came out of nowhere. I mean, Big Noon kickoff was there for Fox, uh, so they were definitely excited about it, but I mean, TCU was a double-digit favorite in this one at home, and I expected them to take care of business. And credit to Colorado. It's kind of one of those things you have to tip your hat to Colorado. Uh, the job that Dion did in week one was phenomenal. Uh, there was a lot of hype surrounding uh, Colorado. I don't feel like anybody was really talking about TCU. That's for sure. And I guess I guess maybe it's the best thing that happened because nobody <laughs> – the TCU didn't really do anything great in this game. Um, I think somewhere Shadir Sanders is still throwing all over TCU. I don't think he's stopped yet. I mean, the man had over uh, 500 yards passing, four touchdowns. Uh, kind of just quick takeaways for me here. TCU defensively, they were an absolute mess. They did a great job shutting down the run game, but it, it was like they had no answer for Colorado's downfield attack. And just it seemed like from start to finish, I guess more in the first half, they were kind of just playing back. It's like they weren't sure what Colorado was going to do offensively. And then finally they started bringing a little bit of pressure, and I would like to see them bring a little bit more of that pressure to, to make Sanders maybe make a mistake here and there, but they just it just never happened for TCU. And, uh, I mean, let's we got to start with, I mean, Colorado's all-star player, Travis Hunter, because that man, what he did to TCU alone, I mean – He's got to be in the Heisman conversation. I know it's week one. It may be an overreaction, but week I mean, how do you not say, oh, that's definitely a Heisman contender? I mean, offensively, he was outstanding. Defensively, he's their best corner. So he is just all over the place. And the guy doesn't take a break, which is super impressive in my book. So hats off to Colorado for winning this game. Uh, of course, it's going to be a future uh, conference matchup, so that's exciting for years to come. 
as long as Dion's there on the sidelines. But for TC overall, very disappointing defensively. Chandler Morris on, on offense, I, I'm not too sure if he's going to be the guy to lead them to where they want to be what, by the time the season ends. But, you know, TC, you kept fighting and battling in there. But that defense, I mean, you give up 45 points at home. I, there's just – I'm not expecting you to win this kind of game. I mean, they got into a shootout and they had no business being in the shootout. Yeah, I mean, you said it. You know, I actually saw some people coming after, you know, Kendall Bryles for the TCU game plan. I'm like, if you put up 40 points, that's not your issue. That is not your issue. I mean, you saw Shadur Sanders, and I know you mentioned the Heisman conversation. There's a real argument that Colorado had two players in the Heisman conversation already. I know it is week one, so I'm jumping the gun on that front. But Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter, I mean, even Dylan Edwards, a former Kansas State commit, that guy was all over the field. And I think that it was pretty apparent, and I know that I wasn't jumping on the Colorado train immediately or anything crazy like that, but I think the thing you saw, I mean, Vegas was massively off on what to expect with Deion Sanders' squad, and I'm not sitting here saying they should have been favored or anything crazy like that in the game. I mean, this was a perfect game plan executed by Deion and the rest of his staff. And, I mean, he's got some good dudes over there. You know, he had a former defensive coordinator from Alabama come down to Boulder. He's got some good players on the sideline as well. I just could not believe the outcome of the game. I mean, it was every single play. I kept expecting somewhere along the lines of saying, all right, well, you know, this has already been a great day for Colorado. I don't know if they're going to execute here in the two-minute drill, or I don't know if they're going to get off the field on defense. They continually surprise me. And, you know, maybe that's partly due to TCU's just lack of, not even effort in this sense, but just they didn't have enough playmakers. You know, Shadur Sanders looked incredible in the game. I mean, you pass for 500 yards. That's a thousand, That's half of a 1,000 yards in your first game of Division One football ever. That guy was an absolute monster. Then you mentioned, you know, Travis Hunter, that guy on both sides of the ball has a conversation to say he's going to be the best player in every matchup they play. Every single time, offense, defense, whatever you need from that guy, he is an absolute beast. That interception he had at the goal line was ridiculous. I don't know if there's another cornerback in the country that could make that play. I mean, that was a prime Deion Sanders-esque type play. That's what I saw out of this kid. I think Colorado... They've got a lot of great things going, and I don't want to jump the gun too quick and say that they're going to be like, you know, a six, seven, eight win team or anything crazy like that. But a lot of these lines on Colorado are going to be really, really rapid. I mean, rapidly changing is an understatement with what we saw out there. I don't know what that'll reflect going forward. I do. They have a big noon game coming up with Nebraska. That should be a fun one to talk about. But it was it was exciting, man. That's the biggest thing. And the Big 12 has two great representatives in that game. I do want to move on here to the next one, a game that. A lot of people looked at and said, this is a bad look. Not necessarily just for the Big 12, but Baylor, completely underwhelming against Texas State. And I'll start with you here. I've got some thoughts on it as well, but I want to let you kind of run with this and see what your thoughts were surrounding that Baylor game. Confusion, disappointment, um, just (laughs) another one of those games where this was probably more head-scratching than the TCU game for me because, I mean, Baylor comes in here favored by nearly four touchdowns at home, and you think they're going to take care of Texas State in Waco and it just that was not the case I mean first play of the game was great for Baylor shaping shaping goes downfield and hits a 40-yard bomb to one of his receivers I'm like okay well maybe Baylor's gonna maybe Baylor's gonna be competitive in this game maybe they're gonna start you know kind of taking control and it just never happened and Joe I'll be honest with you I don't even know where to start with this Baylor team because (laughs) there there's just so many areas of concern for me and those are things that these are going to be things that we kind of have hinted at in the, in the off season, maybe some question marks. And I mean, these went from question marks to red flags for me pretty quickly. Let's start off with the offense for them. Baylor's offensive line 
that was one of the worst offensive line performances I have ever seen. And I know the stats may not show it when it, in terms of stat and sacks, but Blake shape. And I felt like every single time he dropped back to pass, he was hit. And he, after, you know, by the time we got to that third and fourth quarter, I mean, he was literally hobbling around limping. He couldn't even walk. I mean, it was really, really bad. And he ended up getting a, a big old bulky knee brace and they taped all over the knee brace and, I didn't think he was going to go back out there, and he did in that fourth quarter. And, I mean, he just kept battling and battling, and credit to him because he was just getting no help at all from his offensive line. Baylor couldn't run the ball at all. They have playmakers. I, I feel like they have some great playmakers with Dabney, Presley, Jackson Jr., and Baldwin. But when you don't have time to throw to those guys, something's got to change. And, and I keep going back to Blake Shapin. I don't know what else he could do in this situation because he was just running for his life back there. And in that, in that fourth quarter, he took a final shot, and they eventually pulled him for Sawyer Robertson. And I think that was the right call because uh, you don't want to risk shape and getting hurt for the entire season. They just Baylor cannot afford that right now. Um, defensively, awful. I mean, just a pitiful performance from start to finish. They let Texas State drive up and down the field on them nonstop. I mean, every time Baylor needed a key stop, Texas State would go and score. It was – it was like, I don't even know if the effort was there, but it just looked like when I watched this game, Texas State wanted it more. And not only did they want it more, they looked like the more physical team. They were bigger, faster, and stronger. I had really never seen anything like this. Uh, when, a, when a Sun Belt program comes into your house and re- really bullies you, I don't know if there's any other way I could describe it, but say they just came in and bullied you, took your lunch money, and went back home with the victory because that that's exactly what happened with Baylor. It's a very embarrassing performance. I think Dave Aranda is going to have, have to answer some questions. And I actually, I'm not really sure where Baylor goes from there, but I mean, outside of that 2021 season, here's an interesting stat outside of 2021, Dave Aranda is seven and 15 with a minus 54 point differential against FBS teams wow. against teams, not named Kansas. He is five for 15 with a minus 99 point differential. And he's six and 13 against power five teams in that span. So if you take away that one season for Dave Aranda in 2021, where yes, they won a big 12 title. But if you look at 2020, 2022, and now you start off the year this way, I mean, Baylor is on a path of where Dave Aranda is going to be on the hot seat sooner or later if, if they keep if they can't turn things around and it's not going to get any easier for them they're going to have to host Utah next week and we all saw what Utah did to Florida last week so the schedule is going to pick up it's not going to get any easier Shapen's got to get healthy man because if if Shapen's not healthy I'm not sure if they stand a chance in this game and, and I don't know how this offensive line bounces back from a performance like that I mean there was just no continuity along that that front five and I'm almost speechless after this game. This was one that really, really kind of just left you scratching your head. You know, hearing the numbers behind that is appalling. That is mind-boggling to hear. Outside of the 2021 season, like, and maybe, you know, I want to point fingers a little bit at Dave Aranda and say, well, you know what? They did a little bit in the transfer portal this offseason, and I know there's been questions around Blake Shapin, but this performance was rancid. That is the only word I can think to describe it. I mean, you mentioned... You can't win a game if you're not effective in the trenches, whether that be offensive line or defensive line. Texas State isn't some sleeping giant, and maybe this ages poorly and somehow they are ridiculous this season. That's a possibility. 
But this isn't the game out of all the games from last week that I sat there and said, you know what, this will be a loss, or this will be some type of a close game down the stretch. You could make the argument it wasn't even close through the majority of the game with Texas State overpowering, outwilling, whatever you want to say, Baylor looked like the team that was brought in to play somebody else. You know, that was a free $400,000 check to lose. That's what Baylor did. That did not look good. And I don't know whether to blame Blake Shapin or the offensive line. I mean, Shapin did all he could and continually just got beat up. But that defense was awful. I mean, that really was just an awful performance. And I know Texas State's quarterback had a great day. I can't remember the kid's name off the top of my head, but played for LSU and a couple of other schools. Finley. It just Finley, that's right. I think it was TJ Finley, something along yeah. those lines. TJ Finley, I mean, he looked like the best player on the field. That guy completely did it. And I think one thing that I continually looked at that and said, you know what, what happened? You know, Baylor's running back, who had been just talked about all offseason and kind of picked as like, okay, this could be the league's best running back here this season. Seven carries for 14 yards or 16 yards. Things did not look good. Or excuse me, yeah, things didn't look good. And the offensive line is the main thing you chalk up there. That was just, that was bad. And you said it, their schedule's not going to get any easier. Utah will be a big test. And I don't know whether, you know, they're not, like if they walk out there with the same offensive line, they're not going to compete with Utah. I mean, Utah dog-walked Florida, a team that's bigger, faster, you know, seemingly, (coughs) excuse me, seemingly better on paper than Baylor. Things don't look great right now in Waco. That's where I'm at right now. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry about the coughs. And then moving on, I do want to touch on the Texas Tech game. That was down the stretch, exciting game to watch. Obviously didn't have the outcome that Big 12 fans wanted. But Derek, let me ask you, what were your opinions on Texas Tech and Wyoming? Much like the Baylor game, just don't don't have another word besides disappointing. Um, I think there was some life I saw from Texas Tech. I mean, the lightning delay definitely had effect there, playing the game in Laramie. I think the lightning, the weather delay definitely had an effect on the game itself. Um, however, Texas Tech, I mean, they jumped out to a 17-point lead in the first quarter. They were up 17-0. to They did not score a single point again until the fourth quarter with just a few seconds left uh, when it was under a minute when they tied the game so it can go into overtime. I mean, I have no idea what was going on offensively. And, and I'll say this for Texas Tech. Much like Baylor, going into the season – Texas Tech's offensive line was a concern for me. And after that performance on Saturday night, I didn't feel like I didn't feel any better about that situation. And much like Baylor, I think it's now turned from a question mark into a red flag because they did a really poor job of getting any kind of push up front, just like Baylor did. They couldn't run the ball at all. They averaged less than three yards a carry against Wyoming. That's unacceptable. And then Tyler Shucks just left back there to pass a hundred times. And Texas Tech went away from the run game because it wasn't working, so you're forced to throw Tyler Sheck out there and make him throw 100 times. So for me, offensively, not really sure what they're doing. But to, to go three, you know, almost three, three full quarters scoreless against Wyoming, that's just unacceptable. I mean, Texas Tech's a team that we are talking about being a dark horse contender for the Big 12, and you just go up there to Laramie and you, and you lose. I mean, it's, it's something you can't really explain. Defensively, I don't really have any issues with what they did. I mean, up until the overtime, that was really the only time I felt like the defense was was concerning me. But other than that, I mean, you, you held Wyoming in check for almost the entire game. I mean, what, Wyoming scored 17 or excuse me, 20 points going in, uh, going into the overtime. So not bad at all. I mean, this just couldn't – unfortunately, just wasn't able to make a stop at the end there. But 
offensively, I just don't understand what was going on with Texas Tech. And for me, that just another – it was a weird game. I don't think there's any way to describe it. I mean, Baylor was dominated. I think that's one That's one thing. But Texas Tech, this was just one of those oddball games out of left field, and I, I don't really have any other words to describe it, but it was just a strange thing to happen. Uh, luckily for, for Texas Tech, it's not a conference game. I guess you could say the same for Baylor too. But, I mean, their, their hopes and dreams are still all in front of them. But this is definitely one of those wake-up calls. And maybe – just maybe Texas Tech was the team where we were overhyping in the offseason. Maybe they needed this little bit of a slap in the face to kind of wake up and say, hey, guys, you know, there's still a lot of football to be played, and it's only going to get tougher from here because, again, no other way to describe or explain this, but uh, definitely disappointing uh, and disappointing for the Big 12 too, not just Texas Tech. Yeah, I think you mentioned it. I mean, they definitely, you know, from the game energy or kind of the vibe of the team, I'm sure that to an extent they bought into the hype a little bit, and it's hard to say what players here and what coaches here, but there was so much smoke, not necessarily blowing smoke, but there was so much buzz surrounding Texas Tech this offseason, whether it be media days or different stories coming out about different players. It felt like this was the team that was poised to make a run, and I'm sure to an extent they bought into that, and I think that puts you that puts you prime, prime real estate for getting just smacked in the mouth by a team in the non-conference. And I think a lot of people compared it to last season. You know, you saw Kansas State win the Big 12 title. They lost to Tulane in week two. And granted, we saw in the end of the season, I mean, Tulane was a top 25 team, top 15 team in the country, you know, won their division. Maybe Texas Tech has that type of, of uh, trajectory going forward. I know that their schedule isn't the easiest. It's not the toughest based off where they could potentially finish out. But this has to be that wake-up call of a game. I know it's week one, so saying that you have to have a wake-up call in week one is not ideal. But I think they should get back on track. I mean, it wasn't the same degree to Baylor where it was just an awful performance all around. I think Texas Tech has some silver linings to this game. You know, Blake Shapin looked, or excuse me, not Blake Shapin. Tyler Shuck looked good. He was healthy for the most part. I mean, he looks like a menace whenever he decides to run the football. I think that's going to be a big thing for Texas Tech and Joey McGuire. But yeah, it does have to be that wake-up call. I mean, it is a strange game. And anything's possible in the non-con. But I think that Texas Tech will be able to use this as experience going forward and kind of push into the rest of the season and even into Big 12 play, this should be a good learning point for that team, in my eyes. That's the way I feel about this game. Another game I want to talk about, and this was a big loss. I mean, we all talked about it. West Virginia didn't have much of a shot going into this week that outside of kind of the the irrational fans or even the fans that are just over the moon excited about their team, West Virginia didn't get the love. I mean, they were dogs at Penn State in Happy Valley. I mean, it was just a, it was a game you expected Penn State to win. I, I didn't see a ton of takeaways. I mean, I'll talk about it a little bit here going forward, but I want to ask your thoughts on West Virginia, what you thought about Neil Brown in his debut for this season, how things go, how things are going forward for this West Virginia team. I mean, I'll say they hung in there for three quarters. I mean, for that to even happen, I thought by halftime this game would be over, and I, th- I felt like West Virginia for almost three full quarters was really in the game. Uh, unfortunately for them, they just did not have the offense. I mean, that the lack of the offense took them out of the game. Garrett Green got the start, and I didn't think he, from, from the first pass till his last pass, he wasn't accurate. And, and the run game for West Virginia is still a problem. I know they returned all their starters up front on the offensive line, and I truly thought that was going to be a strength of this offense because they needed a big boost in the run game. Unfortunately, they just didn't get it, whether it's due to Penn State being that good, but – even watching this this game, I can't go, oh, yeah, Penn State's a top-10 team. Now, you know, and for West Virginia's sake, I can say Penn State's definitely not an inferior opponent. They are better 
they are the better team. Penn State's the better team than West Virginia, no doubt about it. Uh, unfortunately, West Virginia just didn't have the offense. Defensively, I thought they kind of did an okay job for, for the most part. The secondary for me is, is an, definitely an area of concern as well. Um, they definitely they couldn't keep up with Penn State towards the end there. But, again, they didn't get any, any help from their offense whatsoever at all. So, that for me, that's a problem. I mean, Garrett Green went 16 for 27 for 162 yards. He had a QBR of 57 and a half. I mean, that's just not going to cut it. The run game averaging less than four yards a carry. It's just things that are not going to cut it. And for West Virginia, the other thing I'll say, outside of Devin Carter, they really have no threat in the passing game. I mean, Garrett Green struggles enough in the passing game when it comes to throwing the football, and he just doesn't have any weapons. I feel like the only person I trust on West Virginia's offense right now, outside of Zach Fraser up front on the offensive line, is C.J. Donaldson Jr., the running back. He is going to be their bread and butter. He is literally going to have to carry them, and they're going to be in some dogfight kind of games uh, this season because that's just the way they're going to win. They're going to have to win sloppy. Uh, they're going to have Garrett Green at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right with that, and I think – to an extent, like, yes, you didn't win the game. I don't think many people expected you to win in this case. I think one thing that impressed me, you mentioned it. I mean, Penn, excuse me, not Penn State, West Virginia hung tough for a lot of this game. You know, you, you both, you know, we both expected it to be over by halftime and kind of earlier in this game than not. West Virginia hung around and you mentioned it. They just don't have the team to compete right now in, in 2023. And I think that a lot of people expected it to be maybe not a, a team talent level thing, but more about a, okay, this team just isn't going to perform under Neil Brown or Neil Brown isn't getting the best out of his players. Whatever the case is, there's been a lot of stuff about the hot seat that he's been sitting in the last couple of seasons. I was honestly surprised. I mean, I was surprised to see how hard West Virginia competed the entire time. Obviously late kind of got out of hand there, but this team offensively, just you mentioned, they're going to have to rely on CJ Donaldson. I mean, that has to be the guy. And I know it's kind of unfair to ask one dude to be your entire offense, but that's how this is going to go for West Virginia. And I know we didn't see a great performance, but this team could win four or five games. I mean, six games and a good thing if things bounce their way. But it was an impressive debut, but also had a lot of things where I'm like, well, yeah, that's not great for the future. But I was at least excited to see the guys show up and perform under Neil Brown to an extent. And now I don't know what that looks like going forward or if things change in the near future. But I don't think it's one where you look at it and say, all right, a coaching change is the issue in this game. You know, the difference in talent was really the issue. And maybe that's a recruiting thing or a development thing. But it wasn't the biggest. It wasn't my biggest takeaway, to say the least. But I do want to mention, and I'll start here talking about this next game. Before we get there, Joe, I do mm -hmm. want to mention that fourth down attempt by West Virginia was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, that was not great. I don't I don't want to I wanted to bring it up, but I don't want to think about it. and I don't want to talk about it anymore, but I had to bring it up. Well, yeah, that was not great. I apologize for running through that there. That was not ideal, to say the least. Last episode, if you guys listened in, we appreciate you, first of all. I was weirdly high. I'd say weirdly high on Houston for a reason. You know, Houston isn't getting a lot of hype this this season. They were, I, I can't remember if it was a one-point, I think they were one-point underdogs against yes. UCSA, if I'm not mistaken. It was a one-point underdog. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, one thing I saw in this game, I mean, you walk, you watched the players for UTSA watch out, or excuse me, walk out. I don't know if you saw it on social media. There were dudes stomping on the Houston logo at midfield before the game from UTSA. That's a big deal. That's a big energizer. And maybe that pushes this Houston team to compete. But Houston went out there and played better than I thought. I mean, Dana came back to the Big 12 and really not necessarily a lights up performance or anything like that or lighting up the scoreboard. But Donovan Smith was better than advertised. And I mentioned that if he could really perform and make some of these key throws, Houston could win some of these sloppier games. 
I know that this game wasn't one on the schedule that everybody chalked up as a win, but it was one they came away with. You know, they played a solid game. I think the defense has a lot to improve on, and they've got some things to work on, just like playmaking on offense. I mean, they've got Golden, the receiver, and a couple of other guys, but if Donovan Smith can stay healthy and play like he did the other day at UTSA, I think this team could win a couple more games, and I want to ask your thoughts here on that game. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the the field stopping on the logo from UTSA. I don't know what have been worse, them, them stepping on the logo or them just pouring out Red Bulls or, or Monster Energy drinks on the sidelines to piss off Dana. But no, it, for me, Houston, I was really surprised by their performance. I thought this was going to be a high-scoring game. I thought this was going to be a classic old-school Big 12 shootout because I didn't think either defense uh, had what it takes to hold one another under like three or four touchdowns. But credit to Houston's defense. Uh, for me, that's the biggest takeaway in this game. Um, Houston's defense an outstanding job. Frank Harris, for those who don't know, has been at UTSA. He's going into his seventh college football season. Seven. I mean, that is COVID, I know. But that is just unheard of. You know, that's crazy. But moving on, UTSA is a good quality uh, group of five program. They've won uh, two two, I believe, Conference USA championships in a row under Jeff Trailer. This was going to be a great test for Houston. And with Frank Harris, a quarterback for the Roadrunners, this, the offense was legit for, for UTSA. And for Houston to hold them to just 14 points, that was big. They were able to get three interceptions, which was huge in this game. I felt like that's what really won the game for Houston. So kudos to the defense for doing an outstanding job. Offensively, you talked about Donovan Smith a little bit. I didn't think he did anything spectacular necessarily, but he did what he does best, and that's manage a football game. Houston, I mean, literally had zero run game. I mean, they didn't get any help from their offensive line, but Donovan Smith found a way to make get first downs, move the chains with his feet a little bit, make some plays. Samuel Brown, the wide receiver, had a nice game. There's some decent weapons on this Houston offense. I think it's just a matter of Smith kind of understanding and finding those weapons uh, in a timely manner. But I think once they play a few more games under his belt, I think he'll get more comfortable. But again, defensively, that's what really took took me by surprise for Houston. This was a big win. Uh, I, I know it's UTSA, and people may kind of look look past that and say, oh, it's just it's a nobody. But UTSA is a really quality group of five program. And, and hats off to Dana Holgerson for getting the win at home. Yeah, I mean, definitely a good momentum piece moving forward. Now I want to ask you about this. And some of these games in the Big 12 were just lopsided because you're playing teams, you know, like a Rice or you're playing a Central Arkansas, Eastern Kentucky, you know, Kent State, for an example. A lot of these games, there isn't a ton of takeaways, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on what happened with Texas and Rice. For me, about slow start for Texas. I mean, and that, that was kind of, I think everybody saw that coming. There's going to, obviously, there is so much hype going into the program in Austin right now. I mean, we're talking about Big 12 championships. We're talking about Quinn Ewers being a Heisman, uh, Heisman contender. Of course, you have uh, Arch Manning, the backup that everybody loves. So there's just a ton of hype around the Texas program. Started off really slow. I believe it was 16-3 to three at halftime. Uh, I didn't think Texas offensively looked good at all. Uh, good news for Texas, I mean, defensively, they were outstanding uh, for the entire game. I, I mean, from start to finish, outside of that final touchdown, I think that came in just absolute garbage time with all the backups winning. Um, but for me, Texas just got off to a slow start offensively. Quinn Ewers was okay, 19 for 30 for 260 yards and three scores. Um, some of the wide receivers had, had a decent game. Worthy, Whittington, Sanders kind uh, of popped off my screen. The one thing I will say for Texas, the score the score kind of took care of itself in the end because I figured, you know, 20, 27 points spread or victory 
not bad. I mean, again, I know you probably maybe like to see a 35, 40 point win, but if I had to take away one thing from this uh, Texas and Rice game, it was the lack of the run game for Texas. Yes, they rushed for 158 yards, but for a long time in that game, I felt like they couldn't just get anything going. And, and once again, we're going to bring up another offensive line here. Texas, you know, I know they brought all five starters back, but they did not really impress me. I didn't feel like Texas got that push they really needed to get against a team like Rice. So that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on because they host, uh, they're host. they going to be traveling to Tuscaloosa next week to take on Nick Saban's uh, Crimson Tide, and that's going to be a lot different uh, from looking at Rice on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, you said it. You know, Texas's offensive line, I expected them to come in and be, you know, a top two, three unit in the Big 12. You know, up there with Kansas State, up there with other teams. Like, they were beat down repeatedly on third and short, fourth and short, and they're both in the first half, I know, to an extent. You know, they picked it up in the second half, but, like, you shouldn't really be getting driven off the ball. If you're the best offensive line in the Big 12, you shouldn't be getting pushed back as hard as you were by Rice. I mean, they gave up multiple sacks in the first half. Players who hadn't given up more than one sack in their entire careers were giving up sacks to Rice. I don't know, man. The offensive line was, I mean, it was suspect. That's the only way I could describe it in this game. And I think my big takeaway, and I know that Quinn Ewers has a lot of pressure on his shoulders and a lot on his back this season. I think what I look at, he can't afford to start as slow as he did against teams like Kansas State or against teams like Texas Tech. You know, Oklahoma is a good example of that. You know, you saw Dylan Gabriel dealing for Oklahoma, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I don't think you can have that type of a slow start and win some of these close Big 12 games. I mean, the league's going to be better. Obviously, last year there's a ton of parity. There's going to be parity every season where you never know who's going to win. But Texas going into halftime, six, up 16-3 to three against Rice, you know, I think that, that should have been four or five scores on the board. I know that's kind of blown out of proportion and people can start slow as things settle in, but I was kind of shocked to see how, I mean, the lack of efficiency on the offensive side of the ball in the first half, and they did settle in. You know, the receivers are really the biggest positive takeaway from Texas, but they've got to figure out the run game. I know C.J. Baxter, their superstar freshman running back, got injured in the first half. They had another kid that was, you know, kind of popping off, but it was just one where it was kind of a head-scratcher for me in that game, and I know the final score didn't reflect it, but you know, maybe it's Rice showing up and they've got a better defense than advertised, but they didn't look great on offense. Texas's defense is going to be for real. They are lights out. You know, Jalen Ford is sideline to sideline. They've got a ton of studs in that team. But I was I was kind of pushed back from Texas a little bit in this first game. I know it's the first game of the season, so I'm exercising that, you know, taking that with a grain of salt. But there's some questions on Texas that need to be answered. And the worst time to do it is when playing Nick Saban. That's my <laughs> biggest takeaway from this. Uh, I do want to ask you this, because we saw a game between Oklahoma State and Central Arkansas where they had three quarterbacks in the game. I know Mike Gundy had talked about it. They had a couple of different quarterbacks rotate through. Do you have any inclination of, is that going to continue on? Do you think they that they saw enough in this game to announce a starter or to roll with one specific person? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that quarterback battle and the Oklahoma State game as a whole. Attention to Mike Gundy. Pick a damn quarterback already. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. It was... And we knew that some of the all three of these guys, whether it was Garrett Ringgill, Gunnar Gundy, his son, of course, or Nala <laughs> Bowman, they were all going to get reps in this game against Central Arkansas. Um, l- let me start by saying I'm just going to forget. I'm going to take what we're going to say about the defense. They played well. Okay, and I'm going to stick that aside because the defense had nothing to do with this game at all. They did mm-hmm. their part. Offensively, I thought it was a cluster, you know what, you know what, and a disaster of effort. Portions. I had no idea 
what Oklahoma State was doing. You know, they bring in Alan Bowman, and that Bowman didn't look good. Rangel looked okay, and then you're saying, okay, well, Rangel's out. Now it's going to be Gunnar Gundy. And you had you know had Mike Gundy's son playing when this game is still, you know, it's not out of reach by any means. When the game's kind of still on the line in the balance here, you put Gunnar Gundy, and that is a bold move uh, by Mike Gundy. I'll definitely say that. Luckily for them, they were able to win and kind of get away from this game. But for me, they've got to figure out the quarterback situation. And for me, that's going to stem. And again, we keep <laughs> I'm going to keep bringing up an offensive line. But again, it's true because Oklahoma State's offensive line did not look good at all against Arkansas State. They looked, to me, they looked terrible. And I guess, again, they rushed for almost 150 yards. But for most of the game, I didn't think they did a great job. I didn't think they did a good job in pass protection either. So when you have a bad offensive line and you have a guy like Alan Bowman, who, yes, he's quite talented, as we all know, but has an uh, injury history as well, that's not a good combination. So maybe for me, you know, when I watch this game, I think Rangel is probably the guy I'd maybe go with if the offensive line is going to play like that because at least Rangel can kind of move around a little bit and make things happen. Where Bowman, I'm not sure at this stage in his career he's going to be able to do that. And if he does, I just don't see him staying fully healthy throughout the season. Uh, offense, you know, another thing offensively is Ollie Gordon's got to get more carries. He, you know, against Central Arkansas, he's getting seven carries. I mean, that's just that's ridiculous. That's unexplicable. That's got to change. He is the best running back that they have by far, and he doesn't even get the most carries in this game. So that's that's got to change. I, I I don't know what's going on there. Again, offensively, I have no idea what they are doing. They have they, they have playmakers. They you know they have Jaden Bray, Brennan Presley on the outside. So they've got some weapons. It's just, I don't know what they're doing. And until they figure out their, what they're doing, you know, I don't know how many games you're going to win again, much like Texas tech, Oklahoma state was a team that me and you Joe talked about, uh, you know, in our preview episode of the season, being one of those sneaky good teams that can maybe find their way into Arlington in December. But there was nothing in this game that I go, yep, that, that looks like a big 12 title contender to me. Yeah. Man, I, I hate to say that, but I 100% agree. I mean, it's crazy watching this. I kind of figured this would be a game where you see one quarterback stand out above the rest. None of them looked like, I mean, they all looked like guys that can go and compete. I'll give them that. None of them stood out and said, I am your guy. This is the guy you start 100% in my eyes. You know, Garrett Rangel, I think, stood up a little bit higher than the other two. I mean, Gunnar Gundy looked good, but it was also late enough in the game that it's, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, he moved the offense down the field, but a lot of that is credit to Gordon, the running back. Just getting big play after big play. I know he didn't get a ton of touches. You said it. He's got to get the football more. It doesn't matter who you have under center. He's got to get the football more. They got to give him more carries each game. I mean, he is a guy that can really make make some big plays. I mean, you saw the offensive line when pass blocking wasn't great. I mean, they did better in the rush in the rushing attack, but it still wasn't a great product. I don't know, man. I think I'm going to make my prediction here, and I'm not going to give you a prediction as to who the quarterback is because I can't tell you. I don't know enough in that sense. I think Alan Bowman is still going to get some of those. The majority of looks early on until you have a reason to put him not in the starting lineup. I think they're going to know their starting quarterback after this Arizona State game. I mean, Arizona State's going to be a good enough team. That's going to be a tight enough contest that you should say, okay, whether it's a positive thing of, okay, this guy's leading the ball down the field. He's leaving touchdown drives on the field. That's what we're looking for from this guy. I think the realistic you know, expectation for this game is going to be, this guy can't move the football right now. This guy can't move the football right now. How's the offensive line doing? Is it their fault? Is it kind of a mixture of guys on offense? 
that's the thing. I mean, defense, I'm not even going to touch it. You mentioned it. They played their hearts out. They played solid. They've got to figure out this quarterback situation and stat. I mean, Arizona State's not just going to let you try three different people out and get away with it and make that work. I mean, that's not going to be a gimmick for the season. Things have to get decided soon. That's my biggest takeaway here. And now moving ahead to a game that featured a, a stud of a quarterback. And I'd ask you this question to pitch it up. Cincinnati puts up 60 points in their week one game. I mean, all over the field. I know it's Eastern Kentucky, so take that with a grain of salt. But let me pitch you this. Is Emory Jones the greatest player of all time? Because that's what it looked like. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I, know, I know he had a hell of a stat line and was amazing and all those things. But I just – I'm still going to have question marks. But I will say this. That stat line in the first half, 326 yards through the air and four touchdowns. Uh, that is an absurd stat line. Uh, Xavier Henderson finished the day, too, with 149 yards and a score in his favorite target. Um, for me, that that kind of was the story of this game. It was one of those things where did we learn a lot about Cincinnati in this game? No. Did the guys get a lot of reps that they need desperately? Yes. So it was kind of one of those things for me, Emory Jones. But, yeah, he looked really, really good. But, again, Eastern Kentucky – so it's going to really depend on how excited you are, but I'm not one to get overhyped, especially uh, during the non-conference when teams are playing, you know, Big 12 teams are playing, you know, FCS teams and everything like that. So I never get caught up in anything like that until you start playing Power 5 opponents or in conference play. But Emory Jones definitely looked good. Defensively, I thought Cincinnati did a great job. They got some turnovers. And most importantly, they got off the field on third down. They never gave Eastern Kentucky a chance. And, I mean, pretty much from start to finish, uh, this game was a blowout. But, again, hats off to Cincinnati, got the first win uh, as a member of the Big 12, which is always fun. Yeah, I mean, while I'm not actually willing to say he's the greatest player of all time, I totally am one to buy into the hype. Not necessarily when your opponent is Eastern Kentucky. And I don't mean to say they're going to do this against, you know, any team in the Big 12 for for that extent. I mean, maybe there's a chance against, like, an Iowa State or somebody. But, I mean, their defense was solid. We'll talk about that later. Cincinnati, it was just good to see them come out and have some success on offense. I mean, Emory Jones, seven total touchdowns on the day. Ridiculous stat line. And I know there's some good things on the defensive side of the ball, but it still is one of those situations where we didn't have enough takeaways in this game to say, okay, this is something good I can put in my pocket to use for later when looking at the Cincinnati team. Emory Jones right now has to be a one-man show. And I want to see that change up a little bit. I know he's capable against a team like Eastern Kentucky, but that's not going to continue through all the Big 12. I mean, it could. You know, don't get me wrong, it could, but it's just not likely that that continues down the stretch. I think Emory Jones is a great player, and I think he's going to be a better quarterback in terms of rankings in the league than a lot of people expected. But it was at least just a good thing to see this team come out and not have a struggle fest, you know, kind of have that 28-15, 28-17 type game. It was nice to see them put the team away, and that was the end goal. That was really the thing I wanted to see. I'm not going to say it's going to give them much more of a leg up in terms of anything going forward, but it is a great thing to see. I think Emory Jones is a stud. That's kind of my main takeaway from this. Now, talking about a team that's been just completely obliterated in the offseason for many different reasons, Iowa State, I don't know that there was really any doubt. I mean, I, apparently Vegas changed the line from, I thought it was like a 17-point spread and then dropped down to a 7-point spread the day, day of the game against UNI. Do you have any takeaways from this Iowa State team? We saw some different quarterback play. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and what all happened with the Cyclones. I think for me, this game uh, for Iowa State, first of all, it's good to see uh, a nice big win over Northern Iowa. I feel like anytime these two programs meet up, uh, it's always going to be a dogfight. It certainly uh, was not in this case on Saturday. 
Uh, for me, defense, defense and special teams kind of won the day for the Cyclones, and that's something you don't really say often. Minus the defense, you don't really talk about the special teams in a positive way, but uh, I think I'll start with the special teams because they did an outstanding job. Uh, Miles, excuse me, Jalen Noel had a nice punt return in the game. Uh, shout out to Ch- uh, Chase Contreras. I'm hoping to saying his name right. He kicked a 56-yard field goal in this game. I think it was the fifth longest field goal in Iowa State history. And the punter, Tyler Perkins, had averaged over 53 yards a punt and had a long of 70. So there was a lot of positives for Iowa State's special teams because now they finally have a special teams coach, which people have been asking for for so long in Ames. And now they got that wish. Um, defense played outstanding. Uh, I you, Believe it or not, you and I did not cross the 50-yard line until the third quarter in this game. So that was – the defense was at Big 12 caliber, you know, championship level. Unfortunately, the offense still has a ways to go. But uh, speaking of the offense, two quarterbacks, Rockwell Beck and J.J. Cole, uh, got their chance to, to play in this one. I thought Beck did a nice job. He really, to me, settled down as the game went on, which, you know, I knew there were going to be some some nerves and some butterflies early on. So I feel like as the game progressed, he did a lot better job of kind of staying calm. Uh, he, You know, and – what I like to really see from this offense, I would like to see more from the run game because I think the offensive line could have done a better job. As you know, another thing, offensive line, of course, we keep talking about that over and over, but it's a very important thing. Um, what I did really like also from the Iowa State offense, they got their tight ends involved, and I felt like ever since Charlie Kohler left after that 21 season, that they didn't really get to use a lot of their tight ends a whole lot in the passing game, they used them more of the blockers. But on Saturday, we saw Easton Dean catch a few balls, and then Benjamin Brammer uh, kind of ran a great route on, down the sidelines and actually outran a corner in a safety for his touchdown catch. So I thought they did a great job. I think they kind of kept things a little bit vanilla kind of entering uh, this week going into side-off game. So who knows what we'll see from Nate Showhouse, the new offensive coordinator. But overall, I think you have to be happy if you're an Iowa State fan with this one. I mean, definitely. And I'm going to just be frank. I'm not even going to get into the analytical side of things here. I just want to be happy for Iowa State. You know, I think they've had so many just, I mean, kicks in the you-know-where all offseason. It hasn't looked great with, obviously, the ongoing, all of the players leaving and getting kicked off the program for sports betting stuff. Not all of them, but a good chunk of players. It was nice to see them not only get a win, but handle the team and not struggle. I mean, they've struggled in the past with all their players on the field against UNI. This is a big week for Iowa State going into Iowa. You know, you got your Cyhawk game coming in. It's going to be fun to see, and I know that there might not be a ton of these opportunities for Iowa State going forward with a big win. It's just got to feel good to be an Iowa State fan, at least for at least just one week. Feel good, celebrate, enjoy the moment. Rocco Beck, I think he did a, he did a good job. He settled down in this game. You mentioned it. You know, we'll see what that leads to in the future, but I, it was just a good thing to see. Not even just as a Big 12 fan, but specifically as an Iowa State person out there. I'm happy for you. That's what I would say to everyone listening from the Iowa State fan base. Moving on to Kansas State and SEMO. Talking about another game where it was just a blowout. I mean, there wasn't a ton of competition or fight from SEMO. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this game. K-State taking it 45-0 to in Manhattan. Well, first off, i got to say sorry about that. Uh, my damn ESPN, anytime you open an ESPN webpage, it's like a video has to play in front of that. So <laughs> apologies for the uh, for the extra background noise, though. But no, Kansas State, we're starting to get some of these games where uh, they're, they're not going to be that much enjoyable to talk about because I don't feel like we really learned a whole lot about some of these teams when they get blow, uh, in these blowouts. But, hey, Will Howard, I thought, had a decent game, 18 for 26, 
uh, almost 300 yards, two touchdowns, even caught a touchdown pass as well, which was pretty cool to see uh, in this one. So it's something you don't see very often, a quarterback catching a touchdown pass anymore. Uh, DJ Giddens, I thought, did a great job behind his offensive line. I mean, there were a lot of things to like here for, for Kansas State. RJ Garcia and Ben Sennett over, both went over 100 yards, so that's something I talked about going into the year. Um, kind of seeing some of their playmakers step up, especially in the passing game, because I think that's where Kansas State's offense can really take it to another level. They can't If they're not able to beat you with the run and the passing game, uh, that's a big step for me. Defensively, I mean, they got the shutout. I don't know what more you could ask for here. Uh, but I thought they did a great job overall. They took care of business, and that's more than a lot uh, we can say compared to some of these other teams in the Big 12. So uh, kudos to Kansas State, from, and we'll see what they do moving forward, but they definitely look like um, they, they were doing their job on Saturday for sure. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. I think looking at this game, I mean, the biggest thing I saw, you mentioned the passing, you know, the passing attack. They were without Keegan Johnson, one of the transfer players from Iowa who's supposed to be their kind of their pass their top guy in the passing game, obviously outside of Ben Sennett, their tight end. He was wearing street clothes for this game. I wasn't sure. It sounded like he got nicked up early in the week. K-State was, you know, really, really successful through the year. R.J. Garcia is a player to follow, and I necessarily didn't have him as a guy to say, you know what, this player could get upwards of seven, 800 yards this season. R.J. Garcia might be that next guy for this Kansas State offense. Obviously, things are going to look a little bit different when you play different levels of competition, but SEMA was a pretty solid team at the FCS level. They haven't been shut out in 47 games, I read. I think this is a great win for Kansas State. And just seeing Will Howard get out there, I do want to say hats off to Avery Johnson going out there, making his debut, let a touchdown drive down the field, was about a yard short of scoring a second one. The future's bright in Manhattan, especially with Avery Johnson at the helm going forward. But it was a great win. It was a comfortable win for K-State. We'll see what happens in week two against Troy. But touching on, you know, you touched on it. We've got a stretch of games where there's blowout, 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 blowout coming up here. So the takeaways are going to get a little bit different, but I do want to talk about Oklahoma. And I'll start this thing off on Oklahoma and Arkansas State. Dylan Gabriel looked great. I mean, you're playing Arkansas State. I don't want to sit here and say that they're the best team that we saw this weekend in terms of not, not even to say inferior teams, but just weaker teams in that week one schedule. I don't know, man. Oklahoma looked like a gauntlet. You put up 70 points. That's concerning for anybody else in the league. But it's kind of got a little bit of the Cincinnati feeling. I think it's a good thing in its own right. I mean, Oklahoma has the ability. They have some of the top playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, defensively. They have the capability to score 50 against anyone in the league based off what I saw here. But also, I don't want to take it out of context and say this is what's going to happen every week. You know, I don't see them putting up 70 points against the defense in the Big 12. That's just not what I'm seeing. So to speak, I mean, there's some of the weaker units that they might pop off against, but Dylan Gabriel looked great. I mean, the team threw for five touchdowns in the first half alone. Guy was a stud, and I think he's going to take another big jump this season. They deserve to be up there in terms of the top four spots in the Big 12. I think they deserve that. And I think Brent Venables at least silenced people a bit, not against necessarily a team like Arkansas State. I've said it, but I'll be interested to see what happens going forward. I think as the level of competition gets better, we'll learn a lot more going forward against Oklahoma. But what did you think about this game? Not a whole lot to say. I, I think you kind of hit it right on the head there. For me, I mean, 73-0, to zero, I mean, there's not much you can take away from there. Oklahoma had over 600 yards of offense. Uh, Dylan Gabriel was fantastic, over 300 yards, two touchdowns, and, and it was really cool to see Jackson. I don't know, get some playing time as well as the backup quarterback. So uh, I believe 10 different players caught a pass. Nine different players got a chance to run the ball. So everybody had a hand in this victory for Oklahoma. 
this is just one of those games where you, you kind of just blow out the candle on the cupcake, you take it off, and you just eat it because that's it's a cupcake game. It's what it is. And <laughs> I'm sure Oklahoma's going to get a cupcake game, a game or two when they join the SEC, but, hey, they got one week one in the Big 12. So uh, hats off to Oklahoma for getting an easy win here. Well, on the topic of cupcake games and keeping things, you know, in that same blowout category, let's talk about UCF and Kent State. UCF putting up 56 points against Kent State. What did you think about this game? Well, I mean, this was the Thursday game. We got to we got to kick off the Big 12 season with this one, so very excited uh, on Thursday to kind of see the uh, the bounce house in action, and the crowd was definitely rocking before the game. Really cool to see the the Big 12 logos on the field and on their jerseys. But I mean. They had 700-plus yards of offense in this game. I mean, that is insane. I mean, I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw an offense have over 700 yards. But I think the last time I maybe saw that was that Texas Tech-Oklahoma game back in 2016 between uh, Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes that everybody talks about. But uh, 700 yard, yards of offense, that's going to get the job done. They scored 56 points. Uh, Plumley threw two picks in this game, but I thought he did. He bounced back nicely. Um Plumley and Richardson and R.J. Harvey, they combined for almost 274 yards on the ground. I mean, UCF's uh, offense just got the job done. And defensively, they only gave up six points against Kent State, which, you know, it's not an FCS team. Kent State's a decent program, so I thought they did an excellent job there. Not a lot for me here to take away from UCF, but, again, in a week, a weekend of all kinds of upsets and curveballs, it's always good to see. Uh, somebody take care of business when they're supposed to take care of business. And UCF did that and a great way to start the big 12 season as well. I agree with you for sure. And I think just to switch things up a bit, I agree with everything you said hundred percent. I mean, Plumlee bounced back nice for the two picks. I think those were two kind of questionable plays really. Obviously one of them in the red zone can't have that, but you're up 56 to three. You know, you'll be all right in the long run. I think my biggest takeaway from this was something aesthetically. We have got to change the color of the last names on the back of UCF's jersey if we're wearing a black-on-black combo. You know, the the off-black color, the off-gray color, where it blends in, man, i got to see the last names. I know that there's the majority of players in certain key spots, but some of the linemen, some of the people, you want to see their names, man. The black jerseys with the slightly discolored black last name on the back of the jersey, that was my biggest takeaway. That's got to change up. And we'll get that thing tightened up going forward in Big 12 play. But that was a uh, that was kind of a tough squinting moment, to say the least. I do want to ask you about this. Kansas and Missouri State. Kansas without their starting quarterback, Jalen Daniels. Jason Bean stepped in and played nice, but what did you think about this game? Man, you mentioned Jason Bean, and without Jalen Daniels, I was kind of worried about this game, but I think for Kansas, you had to sit him out and make sure he's healthy, good to go into week two. But Jason Bean got the start, and he did, he did a great job in, in a backup role. I mean, to, uh, 22 for 28, really efficient, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, not a lot more you can ask for from your backup quarterback. And they handed the ball off well with a Devin Neal, got 13 carries for 94 yards and scored a touchdown. They rushed for the ball for almost 250 yards. So I felt like they did a really good job of helping out helping out Bean in the run game. And that kind of uh, helped everyone else in return. But for me, that that to me is kind of the takeaway. I don't really would say I learned a whole lot about Kansas in this game. However, I do want to give a shout-out to the defense for holding Missouri State to 17 points because last year's defense, I'm pretty sure, probably gave up at least 30 against a team like this. So it, it was good to see Kansas handle business with the backup. And I guess the one thing I could say is I just look forward to the return of Jalen Daniels uh, and see what this team looks like at full force. Man, I want to say this because I agree with you with all that. 
Kansas' offensive coordinator is a dog. That guy is a dog. Some of the play designs you saw, I mean, you saw kind of the extension of the Kansas City Chiefs offense. You saw Jared Casey get under center as a tight end on fourth and one. And if it weren't for a timeout from Missouri State, it would have been a conversion. Got under center, punched it up the gut for a tight end QB sneak. I mean, there's a lot of creative play calling in Kansas. And I think that there was a quote I heard in the game that said, we want Kansas to be the toughest game to scheme for of any team in the country. That's a possibility. I mean, especially if you get a guy like Jalen Daniels out there consistently. I know Jason Bean stepped up big in the first game. They've got a tough game, too, against Illinois, and that's going to be a thing to follow. But I I don't know. I don't have a ton of takeaways outside of that. I think it'll be good to get Jalen Daniels back next week, and we will learn a lot about the team. This coming up week, I mean, you take on Illinois, it'll be a good game, to say the least. But then our final game to touch on before we move on to some picks going forward, some things of the overall week. What do you think about BYU and Sam Houston, the late game? I wanted to not only poke my eyeballs out, but I wanted to pour hot sauce all over them <laughs> because it was it was so hard to watch. And after watching, you know, twelve plus hours of, of Big Twelve football, by the time one AM rolls around, you're, you're pretty exhausted. And having to watch BYU's offense wasn't all that entertaining. But I guess the one thing you say is they got the win and, and the defense got a shutout, which is pretty impressive. Um, Sam Houston State made the transition from uh, the FCS to the FBS level this year. They're now in Conference USA, so uh, it's not like it's necessarily a cupcake opponent, but at the same time, I would have liked to see more from the BYU offense. I mean, Keaton Slovis just did not get it done through the air. There's no passing threat whatsoever uh, from BYU, and I feel like they've got some guys that can you know, be playmakers on the outside, but when you have Slovis – playing the way he did. I just don't see how that's possible. Uh, even the run game to me was a little bit non-existent. I mean, they only averaged 3.3 yards per carry. Uh, nothing to really write about there. Uh, Slovis, both scores came from Slovis, uh, two t- short touchdown runs within five yards. So outside of that, I mean, there's not a whole lot for me to take away uh, for BYU. That this, I saved this game specifically because for me, it was the hardest game to watch out of any Big 12 game this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I mean, no disagreement here. I I think the biggest thing, like, BYU's offense was painful to watch. Their defense did a great job. They had three turnovers in the game, and BYU put up 14 points total to show for it. That's got to improve. And whether that be a guy like L.J. Martin, I mean, he was a stud running back, got 16 carries for 91 yards, he played well. Chase Roberts was decent, I guess, in the the pass-catching game, but there just wasn't enough. There wasn't ever a threat from BYU's offense. I mean, it was a hard game to watch, and you said it. As the night gets later, you kind of want to turn things off and go to bed. BYU was not the most exciting finish to the night, but that's kind of what I take away from that. They're going to struggle in the first season of Big 12 play if that's the recipe going forward. That is my biggest takeaway here. But do you have any kind of a recap or an overall thought on week one of Big 12 play? Things you saw in the week that you really liked, what you didn't like, whatever you want to go into from there. You know, I when I look at this weekend, I guess you look at the record 10-4 and four and you're okay with that it's a winning record but at the same time i felt like it should have been 13 and 1 or 14 and 0 because i didn't think like the big 12 really deserved um to have four losses in this game at all so for me that was a bit surprising because going into that weekend i didn't really expect uh four teams to go down i don't think neither did you joe and i think Mm -hmm. just kind of overall we started with the texas tech and the baylor games for me those were just two knockout games and TCU to an extent too. I, I, nobody really saw that one coming. So for me, those were three games that were really some gut punching blows um, 
for the Big 12. And, you know, I don't know how they're going to bounce back moving forward. You know, we talked about Kansas State a little bit, uh, losing to Troy last year and then going on to win the Big 12. But, um, you know, you got to find a way to bounce back in the non-conference. That's the best way to do it. And there's going to be some tough opponents this week. You know, Iowa State playing Iowa, Baylor getting Utah, Texas, Alabama, Cincinnati playing Pittsburgh, Oklahoma State and Arizona State. So there's going to be some opportunities. And I can't mention, forget about Texas Tech and Oregon. So there's going to be some opportunities for these teams to, to bounce back. But uh, after a weekend like that, I'm not really sure if they're going to be able to pull it off. Yeah, I, I think my main takeaway was looking at the four new addition teams. You know, you had four a 4-0 four record with each of the four teams in BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. Obviously, the opponents matter in every single week matchup, but I just liked what I saw, and I loved having more teams in the Big 12. You know, I know it's more games to cover, and it's later nights, to say the least, with BYU. But it was good to see the four teams. I know some of the games like Houston's and BYU's weren't as, you know, 50, 60-point bombs as UCF and Cincinnati were. But it was cool to see, man. It's just good to see more teams in the league as the league continues to take a step forward. That was my main takeaway. And then seeing teams like, I mean, you saw Utah play its game against Florida. I know they're not in the Big 12 yet. You saw Colorado take down TCU. The future of the Big 12 is exciting as well. And I'm just pumped to see where it goes from here. But I do want to ask you your thoughts on Week 2. Looking ahead at some spreads, and I'll read you through here the list of what lines are available right now. There are some games not featured here just because I know that the lines come out later in the week when you have an FCS and an FBS matchup. But I'll run you through the list here, and then I'll talk to you about some of the ideas of which games you're looking at and which ones you feel like there's some money to be made. Starting off, we got Kansas, favored by three against Illinois in week two. Cincinnati, seven-point underdogs at Pittsburgh. That game is at Pittsburgh. Baylor plus four against Utah, future Big 12 matchup here. Oklahoma State favored by two points at Arizona State, staying on the topic of another future Big 12 matchup. Iowa State, the Seahawk game. Iowa State is a three-point underdog versus Iowa. That is at home in Ames. Oklahoma, 18-point favorite over SMU. K-State, 15-point favorite over Troy. Houston, minus 10 at Rice. Texas Tech, seven-point underdogs at Oregon. Excuse me, versus Oregon. That game is in Lubbock. Apologies. UCF, minus two at Boise State. That game's on the road. And to finish things out, we got Texas as a seven-point underdog at Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Which of those games are you looking at saying, okay, there's some money to be made here? I think one that sticks out to me is Oklahoma. And I know it's not always a popular pick to whenever spreads that high, you know, at 18. But minus 18 against SMU, I think Oklahoma's going to cover with these, especially after blowing out Arkansas State 73-0. to uh, I, I don't see SMU getting in that game whatsoever. So Oklahoma covering that, for me, that's easy money. Um, Baylor uh, plus four against Utah. After watching Baylor's performance, maybe they bounce back, but I think you've got to take Utah there, cover, you know, winning by more than four there because from what I saw from Utah and what I saw from Baylor uh, this past week, two completely different teams that look like they're going in opposite directions right now. Uh, Kansas and Illinois might be something if you want to kind of bite on that. I, I could see Kansas maybe covering that spread at minus three. Uh, UCF at Boise State minus two might be interested in that as well. Um, Oregon and Texas Tech. Uh, I, you know, I don't like picking against the Big 12 here, but after watching Oregon and Texas Tech, I think Oregon can win by more than seven here. So I might like that one as well. Texas, Alabama, I don't think I would touch that game with the 10 foot pole. Iowa State and Iowa would not touch that game at all. So for me, there are a couple games in there that I like. Uh, maybe even Houston at Rice. I think Houston winning covering against Rice at minus 10, I think could happen pretty easily as well. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's some games in here where it's like some of the lines of the underdogs in the Big 12 were a little bit of question marks for me. I just don't see, in all honesty, I hate rooting against the Big 12 as well. I don't see how Baylor can keep it within four against Utah. I mean, Utah was a better team than Florida. I think they're a solid team this season. Unless for some reason Dave Aranda works some miracles, I think that's that's a line where you can make some money on that. And I know you mentioned staying away from Texas, Alabama. It's Alabama to an extent, and I know that's such a lame excuse as to say why that game would be decided. But, man, Texas did not show me enough in week one to be comfortable riding with Texas. I think there's money to be made if you do want to make that choice of going with Alabama. I think that game's in Tuscaloosa. Future SEC matchup, that's got some implications going forward. I really like... I really like UCF minus two at Boise State. Another game's on the road. It'll be played on the blue field. I think UCF wins that game <clears throat> comfortably by a score at least. You know, we'll see. Maybe Boise State's better, but that's kind of where I'd lean in that sense. I think Kansas State, I don't like all the time in week two of this spot. I mean, they lost to Tulane last season where they were favored outright by two touchdowns or so. This game is shades of that. I think I'd stay away from it. I think Houston minus 10 at Rice is probably the play. If I had to pick my one, and I'll ask you kind of this as well, if there's games you're taking this week of what your picks are, where you put the Derek Duke stamp on, I think, and I'm going to go first so I can get the, get the leg up on you here. I am stamping, and I'll go one and one with you here if you have more than one. I'm going to stamp UCF minus two as Boise State as my first pick here. I'm stamping Oklahoma minus 18. Uh, Oklahoma's going to cover that. They're going to win by at least three, three scores in that game. I, I would stamp that game. Uh, I might stamp – Kansas State minus 15 against Troy to cover as well. So mm-hmm. for me, I, I like both of those teams a lot to cover. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to I'm gonna do it because I kicked myself for not riding with uh, a 21-point underdog Deion Sanders-led team. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and ride with Alabama minus seven. I, I just don't see if Texas – I mean, if they start slow against Alabama, that's a nightmare. That's the way I see with that. I, I'm just going to stick with those two. I know there's some other games that I like, but I'm going to stick with two. How about you? You got any other picks you like here? I mean, it's hard to say for me. I I think that all the games I mentioned, I probably feel comfortable with. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, I don't think I'd really touch that game. Kansas, I think maybe you could take Kansas in that one. Uh, stay away from the Cyhawks. Stay away from uh, Texas. I'd see for me personally, I'd stay away from Texas Alabama. Here's the thing about Texas. I feel like every time they play one of these big games where all the hype surrounds it, I feel like they actually do show up. It's the games against like Kansas and Iowa State and mm-hmm. West Virginia that you really got to watch out for Texas because I feel like those are the games that kind of sleepwalk through more often than not. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think this season specifically with how inflated the hype train's been for Texas, and I'm not saying they don't deserve it. You know, they deserve to be one of the top teams in the Big 12 this season. I feel like that all the conversations surrounding Alabama not knowing their starting quarterback, obviously Jalen Milrow is their guy right now, uh, at least from what I understand. I think Nick Saban comes in and says, all right, look here. This is the SEC. This is where we're at. You guys got to work your way up. That's what I see for this. I mean, Sark could surprise me, but that's where I'm solidifying that. So we'll keep track of these picks going forward. I'm rolling with these two. I assume you're rolling with those two. And we'll kind of keep track as the podcast continues forward. Well, let me see if there's anything else we want to cover. I think I think it's going to do it. Derek, if you want to mention, you know, this is time for last call. If you've got anything else to say before sending it off. No, uh, I think just overall, like I mentioned earlier, uh, just excited for football to be back. It was a great weekend. Unfortunately, in the Big 12, we had a couple slip-ups here. Um, I I forgot to mention the three games earlier about uh, Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU. I felt like the TCU game was a punch in the gut. The Texas Tech game was like a slap in the face. And then the the Texas Tech game, 
uh, excuse me, the Baylor game was a slap in the face, and the Texas Tech game was like a kick in the nuts here because, I mean, just the way that those three games played out really kind of dictated the weekend, I felt like. Unfortunately, I think in the national media is going to have a field day with it and talk about the Big 12 being down because these are teams that are staying in the conference. And while that was happening, you had Texas and Oklahoma winning uh, kind of with ease there. So going to be a ton of hype around Texas and Oklahoma, obviously, as the year goes on. But uh, Texas is going to have a big test te- test next week against Alabama. So maybe their, their kind of heads get cooled a little bit in Tuscaloosa. But, uh, who, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Overall, good weekend. A lot of games, 14 games, a lot of coverage. I mentioned uh, late last night after I was done wrapping up the BYU-Sam uh, Houston game that there was 14 hours. We had 14 games, and there was 14 hours of Big 12 football on Saturday. Uh, just unreal, and, and that's going to be for, for years to come now. We're just going to have football at every hour of the night, to the day, it seems like. I mean, it, we might as well start playing football at 7 a.m. and ending it like at 7 p.m. or something. I don't know. I'll tell you 7 a.m. to 7 a.m. Maybe 24-hour football channel or something. That's a great idea. I would be an investor in that. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a great week, and I'm excited for more college football. I'll raise a toast here to the Big 12. Things are going to be better in this week. I can feel it. Things are, are going to be better. We're going to have more wins, less losses, ideally. We'll talk about that here next week. But we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much for joining us on the Heartland After Dark podcast. Once again, I'm Joe. That's Derek. Thank you for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful week of football, and we'll talk to you here soon. Take care, guys.